Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a complimentary resource for those on the road to recovery. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I've got both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt, a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I have endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmune-paleo.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. This podcast is sponsored by the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, our co-authored guide to living well with chronic illness. We saw the need for a comprehensive resource that goes beyond nutrition to connect savvy patients just like you to the resources they need to achieve vibrant health. Through the use of self-assessments, checklists, handy guides, and templates, you get to experience the joy of discovery, finding out which areas to prioritize on your healing journey. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. We are in season two of the podcast and uh, this is Mickey, if you guys haven't figured out the differences between Angie and I's voice yet. Uh, Today I am doing a personal interview um with my friend susan hey susan hey mickey how's it going awesome susan is one of my aip and paleo bffs uh we met at paleo effects gosh three years ago it was actually ahs oh ahs yep so there we there we go and it was it was longer than it was four i think it was four years ago yeah, yeah, four years ago. Uh, I was looking for a ride home from the airport, and uh, Susan had a rental car, and she was also picking up Ben Greenfield, so I got to meet him. So um, Susan was one of my first paleo friends. Um, and Mickey was one of mine, and we had the same shoes on, and it was like BFFs yep. at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we couldn't not be friends. Yes, um, exactly. It was meant to be. So I'm really excited to share um, a little bit of Susan's story uh, today because um, Susan is one of these people who hasn't had a clear autoimmune diagnosis from the outset, but she has done a really great job at kind of tirelessly working out some of these root causes and and kind of still working on some of that. We'll talk about that. Um, And I think she just has such a great attitude about the healing journey. Um, She's also a coach, so, you know, she has a lot of experience about this stuff. But um, yeah, Susan, thank you so much for for being here, joining us from California. And uh, you ready to get started? Sure. Shoot. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. Um, So I know that this question is a little bit um, more complicated for you, but um, tell me a little bit about um, your autoimmune disease and what you first noticed um, when you first realized that um, maybe that's something that you were struggling with. Well, I first had symptoms a long time ago, so I kind of am the example of what not to do or how to go about everything backwards is that I didn't come to paleo because I was sick. Yeah, I came to paleo because I wanted to lose weight and because uh, I had developed kind of a binge eating disorder from all the yo-yo dieting. And uh, so 
I was trying to change my relationship with food. And so, but my first autoimmune symptoms, I have ulcerative proctitis, which is like the cousin of ulcerative colitis. It's just less severe and um, in in the lower part, the distal part of the colon. And I had symptoms as early as probably 10 years ago, which um, I don't know how much if TMI is about symptoms on your podcast. Anything goes. <laughs> we so, talk about poop all the time. <laughs> so basically bleeding, uh, rectal bleeding, cold bleeding out of, you know, when you have your uh, bowel movements. And um, it started uh, when I was doing like the yo-yo dieting and the Weight Watchers and paying attention to conventional wisdom on things like fiber. And I remember one time I ate like four fiber one bars. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those, but they have like, I don't know how much fiber in them, but they're like a cookie, you know, and I had a binge eating problem. And so one's delicious and, you know, four even more delicious. And that's when the gut problem started. Uh, And, you know, I, I went to Kaiser and they uh, did a sigmoidoscopy. I think that's what you call it. It's been so long. And then they gave me some medication and told me not to eat too many vegetables. That was it. You know, it was basically take some medication. You have to take it. And you might have ulcerative colitis. Right now, we're just going to call it undetermined. And you got this diagnosis once you had been paleo for a little while too, right? I didn't get the official diagnosis mm. till much later. No, this was way before paleo when I was doing the yo-yo dieting. Mm. And so I didn't know it was autoimmune. I didn't know. It didn't have a name. It said, well, you might have ulcerative colitis, but you're too mm. old to get ulcerative colitis. Most people get it in their 20s. Isn't that funny how, you know, you need to be like, you know, a picture of a disease when you walk into a doctor's office. Otherwise, you know, you get kind of like thrown out, door slammed behind you. Like, yeah. So they just gave me the suppositories and said I had to take them every day. And so I took them for a little bit. And of course, it worked. And then I kind of forgot about it. And it would come and go over the years, you know, Um, you know, enter paleo. And I think in, in a way, paleo prevented me from getting my diagnosis as soon as I probably would have gotten it if I would have kept eating the standard American diet because I took gluten out and I had some other health issues, inflammatory issues, um, pain related. And so I decided that I was not, even though when I ate gluten, I didn't immediately feel bad. Um, But once I took it out, a lot of things got better, including my UP symptoms. Um, And so I would go, you know, for three, four, five, six months without any symptoms. And then they would come and then they would go. Um, But I was a bandwagon jumper in early paleo days. Like whatever the newest thing that came down the road, Susan was like, you know, potato starch. If you have ulcerative proctitis, potato starch is probably the one of the last things that you (laughs) should do. And of course, I would be doubled over in pain. Mm. Um, You didn't jump on the AIP bandwagon back then, though. I did, though. I didn't jump on the bandwagon. (laughs) Um, But of course, I was one of those people, and this is what I totally try to make sure people understand about AIP now. AIP is not more perfect paleo. Amen, sister. You know, Um, and so that when I wasn't losing weight, and I'm using my little air quotes, um, well, I just needed to eat less less foods like it was something. So I did do 30 days of AIP, but never the full Sarah Ballantine AIP where you take out all like seed spices. You know, I took mm-hmm. out the basics, the Rob Wolf 
Whole 30 AIP list. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I never planned my reintroductions correctly because I always like had it like I did AIP 30 days before Thanksgiving. And then, of course, you can't just do one thing at a time. And so I never really got the full impact of what I think AI could have AIP could have been for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I and remind you, I still didn't have an AIP diagnosis. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that that was at a point where you still didn't even really know that you had an autoimmune disease. No. Tell me about how you got the official diagnosis and what that felt like when you made the connection that it was actually an autoimmune disease. So um, my chief symptoms when I, the reason why I came to paleo, like I talked about the binge eating disorder, and I also suffer from severe fatigue. And so, so my digestive symptoms always made it lower on the symptom list whenever I talked to any kind of functional medicine person. So they were never really, and I think that's my fault. And that's part of the communication and the collaboration is that sometimes we don't know that those symptoms are part of something bigger. And to me, losing weight was really important and my fatigue was really important. So I was always trying to focus. And that was where that bandwagon jumping comes on, like adrenals, thyroid, you know, what could it be, you know, going through all that whole list. Um, And it wasn't until I think it was Mickey, it was Mickey, it was at AHS in Berkeley, um, which was how many years ago? Uh, 2014. It was 2014. Two and a half years. Yeah. And, um, that was right around, uh, when I decided that the, the, the pain was back, the blood was really, the bleeding was quite severe. Um, and I knew I was getting older and I knew the implications, you know, colon isn't a thing to mess with when you're getting pushing towards, I'm, you know, going to be 50 this year. Well, and then with some of those diseases, you know, they, they take it away when it's really inflamed, you know, mm-hmm. they remove it. And Mickey said something to me because she saw how many tomatoes I actually was eating back then. And she said, maybe you might want to think about cutting out nightshades. And of all the things on the autoimmune paleo, pro, autoimmune protocol that I don't want to, wanted to give up. And sometimes it's that thing that you don't want to give up is the thing that you need to give up was nightshades because I love Mexican food. I love tomatoes. We grow, we used to grow three tomato plants every year for the two, my husband and I, and I would fill up big, huge Tupperware full of cherry tomatoes and just eat on them all day. And it that was August of 2014. And then I decided to talk to my doctor, my regular old MD, and he referred me to a GI doctor who said I needed a colonoscopy. Because I thought I had SIBO because that was the bandwagon I was jumping on then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, see, that's not where, you know, even though to me still where he said I was bloated, to me still, that is still my colon. That is still part of my small intestine as well. So it could have been. And so he did the um, colonoscopy. And then he said, uh, you don't have cancer, which is, I think, what every doctor after they do a colonoscopy tells people, like, don't worry, you don't have cancer, but you have ulcerative proctitis. And he was Indian with a very heavy accent. And I said, I knew about ulcerative colitis, but I'd never heard of ulcerative proctitis. And I said, is that an autoimmune disease? And he said, yes. And then he said, here's your prescription. You need to take this medicine every day for the rest of your life. And here's a low residue, low fiber diet protocol and handed it to me. Luckily, I had known Mickey. (laughs) And luckily at all the, the places that we had gone to, all the the seminars and conventions and conferences is that I kind of through Mickey surrounded myself with with 
AIP people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did uh, cut the nightshades out and I don't eat a lot of nuts still to this day. They just don't, I know that I don't digest them well, so I don't really, you know, eat them often. Um, I've learned though, I just can't eat food, anything every day. My mm-hmm. body just doesn't like, so, like I can't eat eggs every day. I can eat eggs occasionally, but the nightshades was like the magic bullet, you know, um, and it was hard and I didn't eat a tomato for two years and I didn't eat, uh, a pepper or anything. And I still at home, I still don't. Um, but I did some more research and I didn't go back to that doctor because I really, I didn't understand the whole collaboration thing until, you know, autoimmune wellness, wellness handbook. And I just thought I could do it on my own. You know, well, part of it, you know, part of it is guiding that process. But I think, too, you know, when you're presented with only conventional options and, you know, no, uh, no input from a doctor as far as like, hey, I'm trying this thing for myself and it's kind of working. Can you keep monitoring? You know, a lot of doctors kind of don't really care to follow up with a patient that's working like that, you know, so it's hard. And, And I think, too, Susan, like you know, you and I are pretty similar in the sense that, you know, we went off and we studied nutrition and we go to conferences and we do a lot of reading and we like self-knowledge is really important to us. So it's tempting to just kind of be like, I got this. I got this, Yeah, you know, and And I I, I do it too still, you know, and I did and the nightshades were huge, but I would still have periods. Like I had a flare last right before uh, the NTA conference last year. I had a really bad flare and I don't know if I had gotten glutened or what had happened. And so when I had that flare, it was kind of a wake up call that I needed to find a new GI doc and I needed to find one that specialized in my autoimmune, that recognized autoimmune for what it was Mm -hmm. and not just here's a medication to take every day for the rest of your life. And so my husband actually did the research and found me a doc at Stanford, which I live in the Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay Area. So, you know, Stanford's like the gold standard. And, you know, he, we had a great talk about my autoimmune disease and about, he said how far more farther along I was than any of his, his patients, because I had got the diet down Mm -hmm. that he recognized that certain foods weren't good for, uh, for people with ulcerative proctitis. Although he also wanted me to get a flu shot and make sure to wear SPF 80 on my face (laughs) because people with autoimmune disease can get sick more often. (laughs) (sighs) But, um, but he does have me on a regimen now where we're going to, you know, he brought to my attention the fact that just because I don't have symptoms doesn't mean that the tissue in my colon is healthy. Mm -hmm. It's a sign that it could be, but it still could not, it could be just that it's not, uh, it's not unhealthy enough to bleed, it could still be inflamed. Mm -hmm. It could still. So he said, what we needed to do is he has me on a regimen where I took my medication every day for 30 days. And now I'm on, then it was every other day for 30 days. And now I'm on every, he didn't recommend going to every three days, but I'm on every, uh, every Mm -hmm. three days. (laughs) And I have to say that it's been the time that it's been at, at the same time, keeping my diet super clean is that, uh, 
I've been like my digestion has probably been better than it ever has been. And I'm scheduled to go in for a colonoscopy. We haven't met our deductible yet. So I'm kind of procrastinating at the moment. Like I know it's going to take up the whole deductible. So, uh, you know, we have some financial insecurity at the moment. Um, but yeah, so it's, and to be able to see what is that now I know I've been asymptomatic for going on four months what does that tissue look like under the microscope? And mm-hmm. that's the true definition of remission. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where my where I'm at right now and working towards. Yeah, I think I think that's good for a lot of people to hear too, because I think when they you know find something that's kind of working for them, whether it's a combination of medication and diet, maybe it's just diet. Um, you know, it's tempting to say, well, the symptom went away. Like this is you know this is great. I'm fine. I'm free. Um, you know, a lot of times there's that really deep that inside out, that kind of healing takes a lot, um, a lot longer. And, you know, sometimes it might take a combination of therapies. I think that's helpful for people to hear even, you know, someone like you who is, you know, very into the real food nutrition, like you live and breathe this stuff, but like Mm -hmm. you're still getting help from a conventional doctor and integrating that with what you're learning and what you're doing for yourself. So, And the crazy thing is like the medication, like my, so like I said, we haven't met our deductible yet this year. And so I had to refill, well, I'm supposed to refill my medication um, and I still have some left. I'm not going to go without it. But without, with, without my deductible, 30 days of that medication is $950. Yeah. And that's just ridiculous. I, I can't. I can't imagine how people do it that don't have the diet locked in, that are able to go to the every three days and to make that $900 stretch for three months um, or four months instead of, you know, having to re-up every 30 days. And, you know, in all honesty, and this might be too too, TMI, putting a suppository in every night is not fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of, you know, from a lot of angles, I think like we would save our entire healthcare system so much money if people got the prevention part and kind of were taking the things that they could do more seriously and not needing to take so much medication. I mean, a lot of people think of the side effects and the long-term stuff that comes along with taking medication, but the toll that it takes on your finances and, you know, your health insurance plan is totally another angle of it that, you know, depending, you know, people live in the US, you know how tricky it is right now with uh with healthcare for us, you know. Right. Um so talk to me a little bit about um you know some of the other things that you've troubleshooted along the way. Are is there anything um you know that that you've done or any kind of treatments um just for doesn't have to be completely related to the autoimmune um, thing, but like what kind of deeper, uh, testing have you done to kind of get to the root of different things? Um, well, most recently, um, it was a year ago, actually more than a year ago. It was in August of 2015, actually, no, I'm sorry, January of 2016. So just over a year ago, I started seeing uh, Dr. Amy Nett, who's a part of Chris Kresser's practice, about my fatigue, because my fatigue in all reality, it ebbs and flows, um, but for like the last couple of years, it's been, it's been pretty down. I've had a lot of stress, which we'll, we can talk about lifestyle and stress management uh, later, but um, I'm just, you know, continually seeking that, that is it something, is my fatigue something that, that is, there's a deeper root cause or, and we didn't mention this, but um, in my past life, um, I'm actually in recovery from drugs and alcohol. And so um, over almost 20 years ago, 
Um, I did a lot of methamphetamine and I'm not sure if, if that has a possibility because I stayed awake for a lot of days in a row at some point. So you're paying if, for it now. Am maybe? I paying for it? You know, I don't yeah. know. What does that do to your brain? I don't think anybody really knows, but is that a possibility? Yeah. Is it something that at some point I'm just going to say, uh, okay, I'm just going to, to live with kind of being sluggish and fatigued a lot of the time. Um, or, and so doctor, I went to Dr. Ned as this is my last, this is my last ditch effort. I'm going to go and I'm going to have her go through everything and see if there's anything. Cause I know autoimmune can also, you know, fatigue is part of the symptoms of autoimmune, you know, even though I'm not having GI symptoms, you know, fatigue and taking care of that part of yourself is super important. And she ran some tests for chronic inflammatory response syndrome, SIRS, and I tested, you know, off the charts, which is a biotoxin illness, uh, usually predicated by some kind of mold or mold exposure, which could have been at any time in my life. Like I live in a new house. It's only eight years old. It's not my house. I've had my house. So I had to have my house tested, which was a big chunk of change if anybody has to do that. And I went on on the beginning of the protocol and so far, it just seems like it hasn't, like my numbers haven't gone down. We're just still trying to peel back that onion. I leave the rabbit holing now to my doctor because I get too wrapped up in things and I have to kind of step back. So yes, there's some genetic markers that they test you for. And I have been negative for all those. So it's it's one of those things that I was probably just exposed, but it's 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 kind of the better of the two. You can have been exposed and your exposure was such that um, you are sick, but you aren't exposed as such that every little thing is going to make you sick moving forward, which a lot of people with SIRS, it does happen. Like they, they go to a motel and there might be a little bit of mold and they end up uh, really sick. Mm-hmm. What I think is most interesting is that a lot of pe- for a lot of these people, just removing themselves from the situation or the space doesn't it doesn't go away. For sometimes, you know, they can have it for decades until they actually treat that underlying root cause and kind of get their inflammation down and and get them healthy again, which I find fascinating. Yeah. And so I even had a, like a brain MRI to look because it does affect your brain. And I do have like this, the what they call the atrophy, which is really scary. You know, your brain has some atrophy. And so the next step is something called VIP spray. And I haven't started that because it can affect smooth muscle, muscle tissue, which it can affect your pancreas. And I have a pancreas, mark. my um, fasting lipase has been high and I can't take it while that's high. And so we're trying to figure out why that's high right now because hmm. I don't do drugs at all um, so, and I don't have pain. I don't have any kind of pain. Um, so the next step is either to get my pancreas um, ultrasound or um, Dr. Nett's digging Dr. Shoemaker is like the pioneer of all this stuff, digging in deep with him to kind of see if he has anybody else that has chronic elevated um, fasting lipase. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, Like what's the, what is your feeling working with someone who, you know, Dr. Nett is kind of at the cutting edge of this stuff. Do you feel like that is reducing your tendency to like figure it out for yourself online and just kind of like sit back and like let her guide it? How does that feel? It feels good. So, you know, in in recent, like I think over the last year, I've had to really take stock 
that I kind of have to stay. I can't listen to every paleo and real food and nutritional and medical podcast out there. I can't read every book that's there. I can't. I need that kind of contributes to my stress. And I and I really had to find somebody able to drive the car for me. And that's Dr. Ned. Mm-hmm. You know, she it, it's kind of relaxing, you know. She makes the decisions and I, you know, I start Googling stuff and then it's like, Susan, you have an appointment in three weeks with Dr. Nett. Like I had a thing on my brain MRI that said I had like white lesions and I started Googling that and I'm like, you know what? You need to stop. And you know what? We haven't even brought it up because obviously she's a radiologist. She saw my MRI. If she thought it was something to be concerned about, she would have brought it up with me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you really, I really had to step back and, and like I said, let her drive and let her make the decisions. And just recently, um, less than two weeks ago, we started on LDN and um, for my ulcerative proctitis. And I also have some chronic pain. Yeah. And- so, so I don't think we've talked uh, about LDN at all yet on the podcast. Do you want to give people a little overview of, uh, you know, like what it is and how it works? Just really, so really simply. LDN, I'll, I'll do it simply because I might not have all the, the techie information, oh, but so LDN smart, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> is low dose naltrexone. And naltrexone is a drug. It's it's an open, and I might get it wrong. I might get the agonist. Is it? It's an opiate agonist, mm-hmm. and so what that means, in layman's terms, is that it helps your endorphins and it helps your own immune system kind of calm things down. Mm-hmm. And when you have autoimmune, we know that your immune system's upregulated and it's it's sensitive, and we want to kind of calm things down and. Um, it works with dopamine. It works with your endorphins. To do that, it's kind of um, it's a very inexpensive drug. Even compounded, um, three months is eighty dollars. So that's you know a pretty good deal. It, the drug has been around a really long time for drug and alcohol treatment. Um, so people will take that because if they take that and then they take opiate medication, it doesn't do anything for them. So uh, now Trexone itself has been around for a really long time. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's had quite a buzz, I think, in the community just because, um, you know, people's experiences vary. You know, some people have almost miraculous results using it, and some people don't notice any changes, but, you know, it really doesn't have any side effects, and, uh, you know, it's what's been your experience transitioning to it? I bet there's some people that are curious. There there are side effects. And the side effects are sleep-related. And so you have to be very vigilant, which brings to the whole lifestyle factor is sleep is my number one on my list of priorities Mm -hmm. above food, above food. Sleep is my number one priority. So my sleep is dialed in, which is good. If your sleep wasn't dialed in, so what happens is you take the medication before you go to bed and you start at a small dose. You start at 1.5 milligrams for 30 days and you go to three, then to four and a half, which is the the actual dose. And then Dr. Annette says sometimes you can be at three and a lot of patients feel good just right there. They don't feel any different between four and a half and three, so they back down to three. And uh, so what happens is you take it before you go to bed and you, you go to sleep fine, but it 
could wake you up like around three or four o'clock. And it has to do with the endorphins and the dopamine and, and how it works in, in different people's bodies. Some but people have dreams. Way. Have you been having yeah, dreams? I have dreams. I'm a crazy dreamer to mm. begin with. Mm. I sat this morning. My husband came back up when I was getting up and, and crawled into bed. And I started telling him all my crazy dreams. He's like, wow, you have really crazy dreams. <laughs> but I've always <laughs> been that way. But it does wake you up and you have a you have kind of vivid dreams. And then it makes it kind of hard to go back to sleep because it's kind of woken you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it doesn't last. So the first couple days, the first day was fine. Then like for days two through eight kind of sucked. But mm-hmm. now it seems to have rectified itself. Okay. But I haven't noticed any difference. You probably Usually it takes weeks or months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've so. usually heard uh, with people that I've worked with at least a month, maybe the six weeks mark is when they start to notice some changes. And they can be subtle at first. Yeah. And so we're just, and I want to be on it for a significant amount of time before I get my colonoscopy. So then it's mm-hmm. like kind of in there with, you know, maybe my regimen is the LDN and maybe taking um, the Canasa, which is the name of the medication, um, you know, once or twice a week. Who yeah. knows? Where yeah. Up. Yeah. Hack it, hack all the things to, uh, you know, make a blend. That's, that's what we teach here, you know, a blend of the best of conventional, the best of natural, um, the best of the things that you can do for yourself to kind of figure out what works for you. I love that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you've, you've alluded a little bit to the stress management piece and, uh, sleep. Talk a little bit about some of your routines around, uh, stress management and sleep because, you know, podcast listeners have heard a lot about diet and a lot of things they can do to transition to the diet. But I think consistently, once people change their diets, this is where they have the hardest time. And so I'm interested in in just hearing your biggest tips and things that really work for you. So sleep is like my things. And I had a horrible sleep regimen before. And I didn't even know, like, I didn't understand I thought you went to bed, this because I'm older, so people are going to go, oh my God, she is really old, is that I thought you went to bed after uh, Jay Leno was on. Like, it was like, Jay Leno, this is, I'm talking you about wanna, You want to hear 30s. something sad? I don't know when Jay Leno is on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I used to fall asleep to the TV every night. We'd, you, you put on Jay Leno or whatever, and then later on- Is that like on, midnight? It's like 1130. I think he's on. It's on after the 11 o'clock news. So and that's the, I, I don't even watch the I mean, I don't even I don't know what we did before DVRs and the Internet TV wise, because I can't watch those shows that are very intense at 10 o'clock at night, which is the time there, you know, the good ones are on. So um, when we first started eating paleo and reading about sleep, we bait. This was our sleep regimen. We watched TV in bed until we fell asleep and set the timer. And then I got up and hit this to an alarm, hitting the snooze probably seven, eight times and was always sleepy. And then we instituted little things a little bit at a time. The first thing was a bedtime. You know, you you figure out your bedtime, but by what time you need to get up, you figure out what time you need to get up and you subtract eight hours. And that's what time you need to go to bed. Not when Jay Leno's over or Jimmy Fallon or, uh, Stephen Colbert, it's like you pick your, if you have to get up at six, your bedtime's 10 o'clock. Or sometimes people need a little bit more, but eight hours is a good, is a good start. Um, And so we started uh, the bedtime. Oh, first of all, we stopped watching TV in bed, which was funny because my husband... 
thought that he needed the TV to fall asleep because he's suffered from insomnia before he met me. He's had a big battle with insomnia. And I said, he goes, but it really helps me fall asleep. And I said, can we just try it for one week? And I, I encourage people, if they're dealing with a significant other, just ask them to try something for a week um, because then they have no, there's no skin in the game. Like it's, it's a week and you can do anything for a week. Right. And so we stopped the TV for a week for a week that was our plan and three days into it we woke up and he goes I hate it when they're right about stuff like this <laughs> he goes, I never slept better in my life so the tv has been off since then of course when we're sick or like on the weekend or something but um you know during the week no tv in bed bedtime then I got the orange goggles and they really work people like if you haven't tried the orange goggles they are like I get I can say god I think I'm not going to be able to go to sleep tonight and then that you know right after dinner I put my orange goggles on and sure enough it starts making me drowsy my cousin calls them the sleeping pill of 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 eyewear mm-hmm I even have, now that I have readers, I have tinted readers that I use to read in bed at night. I need to get a pair of those. Yeah, they're pretty awesome on readers.com. has a couple different tinted lenses, and they're pretty cheap. Um, so the orange goggles, um, as soon as dinner's over, all the lights go down in our house. We have dimmers. Um, the kitchen lights go off. Uh, dimmers, no um, electronics or anything an hour before that bedtime. So um, I have a back, old school backlit Kindle that I read in bed. And, you know, I never get to that 10 o'clock. Really, I am always, I start to read, you know, an hour before bed and 930 comes and I'm usually ready to turn the light out and, you know, turn the Kindle light out and go to bed. We have an orange amber light bulb in my nightstand. So that's the light that's in the bedroom at night. Um, And then I wake up with a vibrating alarm. I still use an alarm. I usually, I've gone like a year without one, but now I have to get up so early to battle the traffic of the Silicon Valley that um, I have to set an alarm, but I use a vibrating Fitbit alarm instead of that big, loud iPhone alarm. And I think that really helps. I don't snooze an alarm ever. It's like it goes off, I get up. And yeah, we, we put our uh, our alarms in the other room, so we have to get up to turn it off. Yeah, and I sleep with my, all my electronics are out of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. We still have a TV in the bedroom, but it's not on. Um, and But all of our phone, my phone, my iPad, everything is nowhere near my bed. So I have no, like, reason to, like, look at it in the middle of the night. Um, and then we've taped over every single light thing that, like, our, even our, like, uh, what is it? Smoke alarm has a little blinking light. Everything has a light these days. So we've got mm-hmm. black tape over everything. We have blackout curtains. Uh, I s- keep earplugs next to my bed because I have cats that like to scratch and purr and yowl in the middle of the night. And I sleep with something over my eyes, whether it's a soft t-shirt or an eye mask, those kinds of things. So, and when I travel, earplugs and eye mask mm-hmm. always come with me. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Great, great tips. You've got all the tools in the toolbox. But when you know that sleep is like the most important thing, like you said, for you, it's even more important than food. Um, You know, a lot of people might be listening and be like, wow, that's like a lot of routine for the for the sleep. But you know, it's like being that organized and meal planning and batch cooking for the food, you know, you just have to set yourself up for success. And, you know, 
be ready. And once you get used to it, it's just I do it. Like the gla- the glasses are on the kitchen table. So we finish dinner. My husband, I do the cooking and he does the cleaning. And so I g- grab the glasses, you know, at nine o'clock, it, we watch a couple shows at night, uh, nine o'clock the TV it, or before the TV goes off, mm-hmm. you know, and we go upstairs. Yeah, when it's a routine and you do it together, it doesn't seem that weird. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like a, a hard because we've been doing it, you know, and it, it helps us. I know when I get less than seven and a half hours of sleep, I, first of all, it's hard for me to eat correctly because mm-hmm. I crave all kinds of carbs and fat together. And my body does not run well on both carbs and fat together in huge amounts, but my, your body's looking for energy. And those are the biggest, you know, the sources of energy. And I just feel horrible. I'm, I'm foggy headed. Um, Besides being a nutrition coach, I'm also an accountant and I have to like look at detailed numbers and be very on and fuzzy headed and and accounting does not work. And mm-hmm. it gets, you know, my clients mad at me and uh, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, um, talk to me a little bit uh, about support. Have you had any standout supporters, anyone who's kind of cheerleaded you through, you know, all the phases of your journey? Well, I've had you, Mickey. Oh, my gosh. You can't say me. That doesn't work. <laughs> well, you helped because of the whole nightshade thing. Yeah, and you we, helped, we like, support each other. Yeah, it's so crazy. Like, I think think about, like, going to the conferences and say, I don't drink. And sometimes that's, like, you know, it's not hard for me because I've been not drinking for a really long time. And I don't need to change the way I feel to have fun or be happy. But when I hang around the AIP people, they're not really big drinkers either. Because <laughs> Well, if they're on the elimination diet, they're not drinkers. Exactly. <laughs> they shouldn't be. <laughs> so, like, I know we've had a Airbnb where other paleo people have come over to our house. And so that our garbage looks a lot different than their garbage. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Because they're on conference. They're having a good time, you know? Our garbage, uh, ha- garbage has, like, kombucha and Hail Marys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, kombucha and sauerkraut. And sauerkraut. Uh, but my husband has been, like, you know, he is, like, ever since the first, well, forever since I've known him, which, you know, I've only known him nine years. But um, through my whole journey, through the binge eating, he's the one that found whole 30. That's how I started paleo was I was, I, I couldn't control what I was eating any longer. I was doing Weight Watchers. I was doing CrossFit and Weight Watchers at the same time. I advise you never to try anything like that. Um, severely under eating and doing crazy exercise do not go well together. There's never a good end to that. Um, but he's the one. And when I said at the time, this is funny, he was drinking like literally, not figuratively, literally a 12 pack of Diet Coke a day. Is anyone uh, ringing the bell with the insomnia? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just That's so funny. When I first met him and when he first moved in with me, I didn't realize how much Diet Coke he was drinking. And then I realized he was drinking it up until he went to bed. And I said, did you ever think like maybe to like not drink Diet Coke after lunch and and see if it helped? And it really helped him a lot. Like he doesn't have insomnia anymore. But yeah, the ding, ding, ding. And then I said, well, you can't drink Diet Coke on Whole30. And he goes, I can do anything for 30 days. And you know what? He doesn't drink Diet Coke today. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a part. Of, it's not a treat for him. It's not anything for him. And he actually used to have kind of like a, a not a tick, but um, he would he would stop on words sometimes like he would hiccup through words and that went down like 99% since he quit diet coke so 
Um, but he's just cheered me on through the whole thing. Every time I need to make a change for my health, he is right there willing to do it with me. He never, Mm -hmm. he never says, make me, make me something else to eat. You know, he's never that Mm -hmm. kind of husband that wants his, you know, pizza and beer, you know, at least once a week. He's never somebody that says, I can't, I know like my dad used to do this when I was growing up, he would come home from work and he would say, what's for dinner? And my mom would say spaghetti. And he would say, oh, I had Italian for lunch. You know, my dad did the same thing. (laughs) I had that for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he'll eat whatever is in the house and he's always been there, you know, driving me to doctor's appointments, letting me spend money, you know, on autoimmune disease and natural medicine and functional medicine is not cheap. Mm -hmm. And he's never complained, like said, you know, no, you can't go to that doctor. No, you can't have that test, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's held my hand when I wanted to give up, you know, Christmas this year, um, December was hard. My fatigue was really bad. And I just sometimes feel like giving up, you know, and Mm -hmm. he's like, no, you can't. What does that mean? Giving up, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's been really sweet to watch you too. And, and I think that, you know, he, he, uh, has supported you a lot because he sees the change in you and he sees how much happier it is to be married to someone that I think, (laughs) you know, is, feeling their best, you know, and kind of following their, their path and their dreams and, you know, discovering things together. You guys both have a, a, a lot of joy and kind of learning new things and, and that tweaking and, you know, that attitude isn't everyone's, but you know, I've definitely noticed it in you guys. And I think it's really great. Yeah. Um, so just to wrap up, um, do you have any tips or takeaways for anyone who's just kind of at the beginning of their autoimmune journey? I say, you know, get a good functional medicine provider. And I know it's in your book, you go over all the, the steps to find and, and to and work. And then you do need a really good doctor. And you need to listen to what that medical doctor says, but you also need to realize uh, what frame of mind that they're working in. Like my first doctor here, just take this medicine for the rest of your life. You're going to get those medical doctors. And if you do get that type of doctor, you need to find another doctor because there is, except for things like thyroid where you need to take medicine and like insulin when people need insulin, there's not a lot of diseases where you just take medicine for the rest of your life and that's the only thing you do. You know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work that way. And the other thing is, is try to stay away from Dr. Google. Like, mm-hmm. really try to stay away. Like, I've gone, you know, the whole um, methylation stuff and the whole, you know, gene variants and, and falling down that rabbit hole of thinking that I'm going to find some magic answer somewhere, would you say, Susan, like this has been my experience as kind of like an ex-Dr. Uh, Google addict, um, I find that the solutions to my problems are actually quite simple and mostly kind of in plain sight, and, and a lot of them haven't come as a result of following some rabbit trail online. Exactly. It all boils down to sleep, mm-hmm. real food, finding out what foods work for you and what what don't and and in reality coming up with the broadest diet possible because mm-hmm. for me especially with the history of binge eating the feeling of restriction is not good for my brain. Mm-hmm. So I need to feel, I need to, when I can eat white rice and white potatoes, I need to eat those things, not every day, 
never every day. I don't eat anything every day except for drink water. Oh, coffee I do drink every day, which is on my list. Um, but yeah, you know, finding that broadest diet possible and finding out what foods hurt you. Just eat foods that don't hurt you. Mm-hmm. And in what quantities, I think that um, you telling your story a little bit about, you know, how those reintroductions have gone for you and how, you know, you've noticed this threshold. That's something that's a really common theme for people that, you know, they like to think of everything in terms of black and white. And I think the more we get into this, we realize that's kind of not how it is, you know? Yeah. And, you know, for me, keeping my house pretty much, except for eggs and white potatoes and rice, keeping my house basically nightshade free. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't eat nightshades at home. Um, I save that for the occasional time we go out. Um, I ate fresh tomatoes for the first time after two years this summer, and I just eat a couple at a time. I don't eat, you know, my husband gets a little thing from the farmer's market, and I probably put three tomatoes, three cherry tomatoes on my salad or three bites of a chopped up tomato, mm-hmm. and I savor it. And you know what? People say, oh, I, I'd die if I couldn't eat tomatoes. Well, I didn't eat tomatoes for two years, and I'm still standing because I felt like I'd die without tomatoes. But you start to appreciate things more mm-hmm. when you don't eat them every day, and it just works. Um, but, yeah, get you know, get the food dialed in. Step out of that rabbit hole. There, Like I said, there isn't some magic formula out there on base there. It's you know, they may be able to do it, but take all your genes and your lab work and come up with the magic pill for you. It just, it isn't out there, I don't think. And yeah, I think people got to find it for that. themselves. Yeah. yeah. People got to find it for themselves. Well, thank you so much, Susan. This is an awesome interview. I think people are really going to enjoy hearing about your experiences and hearing you tell your story. Um, if people want to keep up with you, uh, do you want to tell them a little bit about how they can get in touch with you, where they can find you? Sure. I have a website. It's evolvednutrition.com and also on Facebook. Um, I have been kind of in a life transition right now where we're we're going to the simplify route. And so I'm working um, a an accounting job right now because we're about to sell our house and move. Uh, so, um, I haven't been really keeping up with that, but you can still contact me through that. And you have such great, she has really great articles, especially for anyone that struggles with like sugar addiction or drug and alcohol addiction. Um, she has a great podcast series, um, evolved recovery podcast. Yeah. Is that what it's called? And you can get, yeah. Evolve the evolved recovery. I have an also a website called evolvedrecovery.com and a podcast, but you can all get through there through evolved nutrition. All the links are all there. Yeah, it's a it's a great, great resource. Um, awesome. Well, um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next time with a question and answer episode. So I'll have uh, my buddy Angie back and we will be answering your questions. Um, you guys take care and uh, see you next time. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the autoimmune wellness podcast we're honored to have you as a listener and we hope that you've gained some useful information you can learn more about the topic we explored today it's covered in detail in our book the autoimmune wellness handbook along with handy self-assessments checklists and other useful resources to put your plan into action pick up a copy today if you enjoyed the podcast please leave us a review in itunes as this helps others find us 
You can also connect with us through our blog, autoimmune-paleo.com, and with the community by using the hashtag autoimmunewellness.